Morning. Nobody answers to what's going on anymore, huh? Well, it's good to be here this morning with you, and uh, I'm always excited to, uh, to just join you in, in this way. Um, uh, if you haven't met me, I'm Adam Connor. I'm the associate pastor here, and once a month I get the opportunity uh, to preach, uh, to test out this, uh, this whole thing called preaching. And so um, if you're here, again, I always give this disclaimer. Come back next week if you're not satisfied because there's another guy who's way better than I am and he'll be up here. Uh, but it's really cool to see this room just so full of people. And man, can we give the Lord praise one more time for the worship this morning? So every single time, I think I'm just more and more impressed with these, uh, with these musicians that came up here. And just the, the contagious atmosphere. I could hear you guys, I think, yelling. Um, uh, from behind me, and so it just felt like a wave of, of sound coming, and so anyways, we give God praise for that. Uh, I want to go ahead and start, uh, first of all, by just tipping my hand all the way. Uh, what we're talking about today is service, and I don't want to uh, let um, that table go unmentioned uh, today, and so I want to do it at the start before I forget uh, by the time we get going. So back there at that table, you've seen this table up for uh, this whole month, and there's six places of service on that table. On the far left is this place uh, that we call uh, the Buddy Ministry. And if you have a heart for people who are just, uh, they have unique special needs and you would have a heart for them to get acclimated to this place, uh, um, to be able to be assimilated, to be a part of FBN, uh, then I would love uh, for you to put your name on that list because uh, we have some awesome little dudes uh, in this church. My, one of my uh, sons is included in that. I guess my only son is included in that. Um, but you have the opportunity to just hang out with these kids and to just help them be a part of church in a way that they, uh, they, they have a hard time doing themselves. And so uh, please sign up for that. And we have a, I mean, we're starting this from the ground. Jennifer Kirkham's leading it. There's a lot of potential in that ministry. But we also have our nurseries and our kids' time sign-ups. There's room for you there. I think we have a few specific sign-up spots uh, for our nurseries. But I want to go and just say this, especially because we have a ton of college students here. On every one of those sign-ups, there's a place for you to sign if you're a college student. I know one of the hesitations is that you guys are gone for the summer, and so you don't want to sign up for a six-month commitment when you're going to be gone for three months. We'll put on there that you're a college student. If you want to be a part, and we'll create a schedule that works with your school schedule. We would love for you to be a part uh, of this place at a deeper level to serve uh, like God has called us to serve and not just receive, because we love the experience here, but we also want to serve it too. Um, and then we have our Connect team, uh, which there's always room for all. I got one of my wife's hairs uh, on me. Uh, there's room for all in that, uh, and then we have our scripture readers. And so with that being said, I want to invite uh, Mark Gibson, who's going to come up. He's going to read our scripture this morning. We're going to be in John 13. Uh, he's going to read for us 17 verses. So if you are capable, would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? So we will be reading John 13, 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover feast... Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in this world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done now for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. Well done. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for this day. We're grateful for your uh, just tender kindness and goodness to us. Um, Father, your generosity to us. Um, Father, that we, we have an experience here that you've provided for. God, that we have an experience here that has room to grow. We're so grateful for the way you're working here. God, would you make us feet washers today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So uh, um, if you're here, some of you uh, know my dad. Uh, my dad was a longtime member here at FBN. Um, because of his job, he had to move away a few years ago. But he had a series of one-liners that he kind of lived by. And so I wanted to share some of those with you today, if you don't mind. And I'll make it fun. I'll give you some one-liners, and you can try to guess the context in which he would say this. And the first one that he would say um, is, everybody stinks when they play with Chris. Everybody stinks when they play with Chris. That's what he would say. His name was Chris, by the way. Uh, speaking to the third person, everybody stinks when they play with Chris. The context in which he would say that is every time I would hit a bad golf shot, he would say everybody stinks when they play with Chris. It was his way of kind of taking the blame. He just thought uh, that his presence made everybody else play bad. Um, and so that's what he says still to this day. Every time I hit a bad shot, everybody stinks when they play with me. Um, the next one, don't come down here if you don't want to get hurt. <laughs> don't come down here if you don't want to get hurt. And if you've ever played basketball with my dad, you know that that's, that's true. He, he holds to his word on that one. Um, he loves to just stand by the, the goal and just wait for you to come try to do something. And then when you're on the ground, he says, don't come down here if you don't want to get hurt. Right? When we were kids, we would drop our basketball go to about seven feet, and we would try to dunk on him. Uh, and, and frequently ended up with us in the gravel, blood, you know, bloody elbows and stuff like that. And, but it was our fault, right? Because he said, don't come down here if you don't want to get hurt. So... The next one, I think he only said once, but we've said it so many times since then that it's become one of his one-liners, even though he doesn't know it. And it's just simply this. You like sweet things? <laughs> you like sweet things? And I think this was his attempt. I think it was actually Brandon and Grace's uh, uh, second-born Luca. I think when he was a toddler, he was eating candy. And in my dad's awkward attempt to connect to a toddler, <laughs> you like sweet things? <laughs> We're like, yeah, Dad, he likes sweet things. He's got a mouthful of candy. <laughs> and then the fourth one was this, and this is my favorite, and it was the most frustrating growing up. It was, wow, do it again. Wow, do it again. Can you feel like the taunting nature of that? So my dad was not easily impressed as we were growing up, and so I would frequently try to jump in the pool or, you know, throw the basketball from the middle of the yard and try to make it into the basket, do something crazy, and before I would say, Dad, check this out, and then every once in a while, I mean, just every once in a while, the shot would go in, I'd nail the flip, I'd do whatever I was trying to do, and then I'd look at him. My mom's, of course, cheering, you know what I mean, because she's my mom, so she's always very supportive and excited for me, but my dad, wow do it again. <laughs> Unimpressed, right? You've heard the whole thing, uh, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, his whole thing was, I'll believe it when I see it again, right? He wanted to see it a second time just to prove that there was actually some skill going on here and not just a fluke, right? Uh, when you have skill, flukes are accidents that go wrong. But when you have nothing, when you have no skill, flukes are accidents that go right, right? Right? So I could throw a ball from a mile away and maybe make it once or twice, but if I, if I don't make it twice in a row, then obviously I don't have any skill in the area. It was a fluke, in which case he would give me no praise. But my mom was always there. She always came through, right? But the point is this. He was on to something. Skill is proven by consistent execution, right? Um, you can watch a painter paint a masterpiece, and you think, well, that's cool. Do it again. And if he does it again, then you're like, this guy's got some skill, right? Same with word working. Th same with really any kind of thing that requires skill. It's proven when it's repeated, when it's reproduced, and the more you see it, the more you're convinced of what's really going on there. Now, when it comes to our faith, this whole idea of I'll believe it when I see it, it's not something that we really rely on because by definition, faith is believing in something that you haven't seen. Believing something is true even though you haven't seen it. And in our relationship with Jesus Christ, listen, we are called to be faithful people. There's an aspect of faith that what we believe and what we worship and what we profess there's much of it that has yet to be seen. Much of it has been experienced, but much has yet to be seen, right? As far as I know, nobody in here has seen Jesus face to face, and yet we worship him as if he's a real person. Why is that? We have faith. 
He's proven himself. He's, he, he's, he's convinced us in other ways, but we still have yet to see his full glory. And so we hold to faith that that is there for us. Right? The scriptures before us, so much of it has, has come true, has been fulfilled, but there's still a lot to be fulfilled. And so we hold to faith. We hold by faith that these things will come to fruition, that God will see these things through. We haven't seen it yet, but we have faith. There's a lot of things that we are called to believe without seeing. But it's interesting, though, that of all the things that we're called to believe without seeing, faith itself doesn't make the list. Faith itself doesn't make the list. Why is that? Because faith is proven by what is seen. Faith is proven by what is done. Faith is proven by the way it comes out and the way you live. James chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. James says, in the same way faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. See, faith is proven by your works. It's proven by your living. It's proven by your deed. Now, in a very similar fashion, God's love uh, uh, should have the same outpouring in your life. Right? That if you love God, then it will play out. It will be seen in some way. In John chapter 14, verse 21, it says that the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Not only do you know God's word, you know his commands, but you keep them. You do them. You live by them, and it comes out of your life. And by that, we know that you have the love of Christ within you. We know that you love him. Right? So faith is proven by your living of good deed and works. Your love is proven by your obedience to his words. Well, this continues into what we're talking about today because last week Brett talked about the fuel behind the mission of the church, the fuel behind the mission of Christ. That fuel uh, we identified as selflessness, selflessness, humility. So if the fuel behind the mission is selflessness, humility, then what is the method by which humility is proven? And the answer is what we've been talking about already. Service. Service. When what you know becomes what you do. And it plays out in your service to people. This is how it's proven, right? Because a selfless person who does not serve the Lord's mission is either not a selfless person, a.k.a. you're all talk, or... You're selfless for all the wrong reasons. You'll certainly serve people and give up your money and give up your time and all that kind of stuff, but it's for a different God. The fancy word for this in church terms is idolatry. You worship something else because that's what you give yourself to. In John 13, Jesus gives us an image of, of true and authentic service to the Lord, right? And so the point of all this before we get into it is here is this. Listen, you can be here today, and my guess is, what we're going to talk about this morning, you might have heard a thousand times in your life. And it's one of those sermons, let me just be clear with you, it's one of those sermons that's very easy to take in, to think about, and to just forget about immediately. Right? It's one of those sermons that's very easy to just start building walls up already. Many people have sat through these sermons over and over and over again, and yet their lives have gone unchanged. They don't feel any draw deeper into what the Lord has for them. And so I pray that today is different for you. Because the reality is, is that you can be here and you can claim a mighty faith in God. You can claim that, and I hope you do. You can claim to have this passionate, burdened desire to, to rest in God's love. You can claim to be moved by God's love, and I pray that you are. And you can even coat it all with a veneer of, of humility, a verbal veneer, right? It's all talk. But listen, regardless of what you say, it will be proven real by how you live. Each one of those places, whether it be your faith or your love or your humility, it's proven in the way that you live. So that's what John 13 is about. And so let's jump into John chapter 13. We're actually going to start in verse 12. There's so much here that we don't have time to get into this morning. And so um, um, I would engage in conversation with you, you know, about all of this outside of this. But for now, we're going to jump into verse 12. And we're going to look specifically at the example of service that Jesus gives to his disciples this morning. So let's start in verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do 
just as I have done for you. So he gives them this example of service by washing the feet. It's a beautiful picture, right? There's a lot there. But listen, he kind of breaks down this picture in four parts. We're going to break it down in four parts. And the first is this. The first is this. It's this idea of profession. Because in verse 13, Jesus said, you are the ones who are saying that I am teacher, that I am Lord. So the disciples are there in agreement. This guy's above us. Right? It's a profession of their own mouth. And we all have this profession, right? Jesus is teacher. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. We, we say it. And so they're saying it. Jesus says, you call me teacher. You call me Lord. Teacher is this expert instructor, right? He's, there. He's the one uh, who is discipling them. They are following him. He's a master in his field. He, he can teach from the scriptures because he wrote the scriptures, right? He's just... He's the ultimate example. He's the ultimate teacher. Not only that, but he is Lord. Right? You think of like kind of Lord of, of the land. He has this ownership um, principle. to him. He has this ownership quality to him over these men. And they see it and they acknowledge it and they profess it. Right? Because he is authority and he is teacher. He is teacher. He is Lord. And so you have the profession. But then you have the example, right? As teacher, as Lord, you call me this. You see it. And so if it's true... Do what I'm about to do. He washes their feet. He says, you will do what I have done, right? That's the example. By the way, this is like the core of discipleship, right? We talk about discipleship a lot, and I think a lot of times in our clutter of trying to create discipleship experiences and all that kind of stuff, we, 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 we clutter it. We overcomplicate it. But, you know, discipleship in its rawest form is just imitating other people who imitate Christ, Imitating Christ himself, following his example. But then, as Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I remember talking to a young guy, and he was, he was talking about another guy in this church who he just deeply respected. And he kept saying things like, man, I just want to, like, I just love this guy. Like, he's so kind to his face, so kind to everybody else. He opened his home to me, and um, um, he's so generous with his time and with his resources. I just, I just love this guy. Someday I want to be like him, right? That was kind of the tone that he was taking. And so I said, well, wh why don't you just start being like him? If you're seeing him imitate Christ and it all looks great to you, what are you waiting on? Start doing it, right? You don't need somebody to take you out to coffee once a week to be discipled. You know that, right? I kind of practice this in my own life. There's a guy in this church who I deeply respect. And so without him and I ever even talking about it, I just decided I'm going to start looking at his life really deeply and trying to do what he does. And he's been discipling me in that way, right? This is the core of discipleship. And Jesus is saying, I'm laying out an example for you. See it, take it in, and then do it. Because no example is really that good unless it's done. It doesn't mean much unless it's followed with action. And that's what we see in verse 15 when Jesus says, do as I have done for you. He's calling them to action. Do it. And then in verse 16 and 17, he reinforces the whole thing. He says, truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them, right? Jesus is the one who sins. Jesus is the master. They aren't greater than him. Everybody's clear about that. He's teacher and Lord, not them. And so if you know this, then do what he's saying. That's it, right? If you know it, then do what he's telling you to do. Right? Is he your teacher and Lord this morning? And if so, are you doing what he's called you to do? Now, this seems pretty simple, right? Um, I mean, you can look at this and be like, well, Jesus did an act of kindness, and so I guess we need to just do acts of kindness to people, and boom, like, what, what's the need for 40 extra minutes of sermon, right? But there's something going on here that I think helps us see this at a different level, because there's a different level going on, Right? Somebody could come and wash my feet, and if I just saw that and thought, well, this is a nice act of kindness, and his, the example here is like do acts of kindness, then boom, that's easy, I'm going to go. But that's not how they responded, is it? This wasn't easy for the disciples, was it? No, Peter, if you remember earlier in the reading, he threw a big fit about it. He said, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. You're not going to do this. And Jesus said, well, unless I wash your feet, then you have no part in me. And then, Jesus, and then Peter overcorrects him. He's like, well, then wash all of me. You know, I don't know if he was being sarcastic or if he was just overcorrecting himself. But whatever he was doing, it was clear that he didn't understand the spiritual meaning behind the physical act of feet washing. He didn't understand it. 
And I've heard preachers preach about this, and they talk about, you know, how Peter was blinded by pride and all that kind of stuff. And it's Peter, so sure, there was pride involved in this. But the issue that I think is going on is what I would call a protective ignorance. It's a protective ignorance. You see, Peter uh, was well known for kind of being the spokesman of the group, spokesman uh, unofficial, because he often did, and he often, uh, um, he was the one who was brave enough to do what all of the other disciples were doing. He was the the one impulsive enough uh, to say what all of the other disciples were thinking. He was the one who always crossed the line. He was the one who cut off the ear, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't the only disciple who was thinking about that. Right? He was the one who jumped out of the boat into, uh, into the ocean, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't the only one thinking about that. And now he's looking at the disciples, and they all have great discomfort about them, and he says, you're not washing my feet. He's the one who says it. A protective ignorance. We've seen this before back in Matthew 16. You might recall the story when Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to have to suffer, and I'm going to be killed. I'm going to raise again on the third day, but they always seem to forget that part. And then Peter was like, no, Lord, no, I'm not going to let this happen. To which Jesus responds, thank you for your protective tendencies, Peter. I really appreciate it. No, he says, get behind me, Satan. That's what Jesus says. Oh, geez, Satan, like, I mean, geez, Jesus, like, that's, that's huge. I'm not Satan. I'm trying to protect you. It's like, no. And then what Jesus tells Peter is this. He says, You have your mind focused on human concerns, not on God's concerns. Which, by the way, is Satan's huge ploy against us, isn't it? To get us so focused on the human concerns of wealth and health and happiness and, you know, sports and fame and whatever, so that we're not focused on what God sees, what God's concerned about. Protective ignorance. Well, what is Peter protecting Jesus against in this scenario? Well, I think a little word study might, might help us. See, in the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, there's a lot of words that we translate as servant or service. Okay? Uh, three of them that I want to share with you. The first is latria. Latria, the Greek word latria, and it means to serve as an act of worship, to serve the temple, to serve the church, right? Zach Devine was on the drums today, and he was doing his act of service by fulfilling his role as drummer as part of our worship experience, and he did it well, and, and that's latria, that's serving as, a, as an act of, of role and position um, in your place of worship. The second that I want to share with you is the Greek word diakonos. Diakonos, it's from, the, uh, we've, it's from this word that we get the word deacon, right? So we have elders and deacons in the church. And deacons, all the way back in Acts chapter 6, this is the word that's used to talk about these men who are appointed deacons because they handled the distribution of food and money while the apostles focused their efforts on preaching and teaching and prayer, right? And so these deacons would serve the church. They would serve the physical needs of the church. It was something that they tended to. It was, a, it was a ministry that they did. But then there's a third word, service and, and uh, uh, servants. There's a third word that's used, and it's the word that's at play here. And it's this word, doulos. Doulos, it's the word he uses in verse 16, and it's the picture that he is putting on display. And this simply means a slave. It's not really about what you do, it's all about who you are. This is a slave, a bond servant, lower in social class, you have a huge debt to pay off. These are the people that would take off their outer clothes, and when guests would come to the owner's house, they would, out of hospitality, on behalf of their owner, wash the feet of the guests who would come to the house, which is exactly what Jesus did. See, he's playing the part of a slave in this example. It's not just an act of kindness. What he's dealing with here is a total identity. And so when the disciples see him, teacher and Lord, submitting himself, embarrassing himself to to servanthood, to to being a slave and a bondservant as if he has anything to owe them, then they're uncomfortable about it. And you would be too, wouldn't you? Right? It's the same discomfort that an enlisted soldier would feel if his general tried to come wash his feet. No way, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm not going to let you embarrass yourself in this way. I'm not going to let you do that, Jesus. But his mind was on human concerns. This wasn't, this wasn't what God was trying to teach him in that moment. Right. 
See, service, Jesus' example of service, it wasn't a matter of obligation. It wasn't about doing acts of kindness and service. It wasn't about role and a duty. It was about identity. How we as believers need to follow in Jesus' example and take on the very nature of a servant, which is what Philippians 2 says, and it uses the same word there as it uses in John 13, to take on the very form of a slave, of a lesser person when we're dealing with other people. To serve them, to be their slave in the name of Jesus Christ. You see that, right? It's not about what you're doing. It's about who you are. See, service was never something that we do just when we have the time. It was never something that we do reluctantly because somebody asked us to. It was never something that we do uh, uh, to gain favor. It was never something that we use to compete with other people. It was never something that we do just, before the, just, just for the family-friendly community that we also love. It's about who you are. It's who we are to be. True servants doing true service. Feet washers. That's who we're called to be. Our love proven by our obedience. Our faith proven by our deeds and our humility proven by our service to each other. Martin Luther King uh, Jr., we celebrated his day this past week, and it never gets old to look at the story uh, of Martin Luther King and just see what the Lord, how the Lord used that faithful preacher to just do a work in this country, right? God used him uh, in remarkable ways, and we know his speeches, and we know his impact, but he was a great preacher too, and he had something that he often referred to as a dangerous atheism, Dangerous atheism was the atheism of claiming God, but living as if God doesn't exist. Claiming God, but living as if God doesn't exist. He says it's rampant in our world. It's just as rampant in our churches of people who are full of claiming God, but they live the rest of their lives like he doesn't exist. And I want to be very transparent with you guys today. FBN has the full spectrum. We have the dangerously atheistic who claim, but it doesn't play out at all in the way they live. And the sad thing is, is I think a lot of these people think that they're fooling people, right? You can show up and you can have the verbal veneer of humility and all that kind of stuff, but like all of this stuff plays out in the way that you live. And so the reality is, is I think people have their eyes open. People know. People know. And that's part of the problem of coming to FBN because we have those, and then we have the full spectrum on the other side, the full-on feet washers. The servants, we have them too. And so the contrast level is turned up to 100% here at FBN. It's all here. And listen, we praise God for that because one, it means that people are doing it because he's provided. And two, look at the potential that God has for this place. So we praise God for that too. No matter where you are, you need to know that God has a role for you. God has a place of service for you, for this church, for, this, uh, for, for his kingdom, for this community, right? In the name of Christ, he has a place of service for you. He has it. So regardless of where you are this morning, I'm grateful to see how God's providing. I'm grateful to see the potential that he has within the population of FBN. And so what I want to do now is going to have a little bit of fun with you, okay? Um, not too much fun, right? After all, Baptist is still in our name. So uh, I don't want to have too much fun. But we're going to go into a segment of what I'm going to call provision and potential. Provision and potential. We're just going to take an honest look at FBN, okay? Is that cool? All right, so let's look in the area of just service of time. God's provision and God's potential for us in the area of, of our service of our time. I tried to do a little case study of FBN because I was curious with this question. How many man hours a month does it take to keep uh, the FBN experience where it's at? We love the music, don't we? Yeah, you can give a hand for that. I mean, that's, that's good. <laughs> Let's take it up a notch. You love the music without the kids, don't you? Right? Right. There's 30 people in the back with bloodshot eyes right now wondering when I'm going to wrap up because your kids are back there. Right? There's even more downstairs with the elementary age kids also with bloodshot eyes wondering when is this thing going to wrap up, right? I'm just kidding. Our servants down there, our feet washers have great attitudes about it even though they're using uh, limited resources. Okay? But we love the experience here, don't we? 
right? You have somebody handing you a bulletin. You have, we have connect groups. We have, we have classes. We have teachers. We have youth and worship and prayer gatherings and buddy ministry and fostering hope and connect group. And so what I tried to do is just look at the collective effort of service of FBN and figure out how many man hours does it take for us to sustain what we have, the experience that we all so love. And the number I could come up with is 500 hours, give or take, not including everything that the staff puts into it, which means this, 500 hours a month that you guys are satisfying to give FBN the experience that we have. Can we give the Lord a hand for that? I mean, that's, that's crazy huge. 500 hours. And I might be short calling it a little bit too. It might even be beyond that, but 500 hours, that's amazing. That's our monthly time budget that we have. That's God's provision. But let's talk about his potential. Okay? You can do that with me. I'm operating uh, as if there's roughly 350 people within the FBN population that call FBN home. Because I think that's, that's fairly accurate. So 350 people who call FBN home. We have 500 man hours that we have to, to fill to keep this place popping. So that already tells you right now that the number's a little off, that, that the 350 are carrying the load, that many people are doing multiple hours, right? And from a pastoral perspective, you know, I kind of see the ministry from, a, from our overall view, and I can see where people's hands are. And I would even go ahead and say this, that probably the bulk of that 500 hours, to be honest, is upheld by maybe half of that 350. I, I would be honest and say that. I think that's probably fairly, fairly true to, to where we're at based on what I can see, right? Which means that some people are overworked and some people aren't worked enough, right? There's a mismatch there. Potential is what we're going to call it. There's potential there. Now, listen to this. Imagine if our church was to adopt what I'm going to call for our purposes today a cushioned time tithe, You've heard of the tithe, right? You give of a tenth of everything you have. So we do this with our finances, and that becomes pretty natural because that's a clear biblical principle. And have you thought about what would it look like if we timed our time? If we timed our time. So I'm going to cushion this for you, okay? First of all, 720 hours a month you have. 720 hours a month, right? Unless you were born in this month or you die in this month, every month you have 720 hours to give, right? Here's cushion number one. You need your sleep, so we're going to remove that completely, okay? So, you all get eight hours a night um, of good sleep, ready to serve the Lord. I know some of you are thinking this is just a pipe dream, and I, it is, but <laughs> listen, you got, that's 240 hours, I think, a month. Subtract that, you have 480 hours that you can use now. Let's tithe to the Lord out of that. So, it's 48 hours, right? A tenth of 480, 48 hours. How in the world are you to apply 48 hours to the Lord as a time tithe? Listen to how realistic, realistic this could be, right? Well, if you love the Lord and you're trying to rest at his feet and know his love and spend time with him, then it's realistic to think that maybe an hour of each of your days, 30 hours a month, could go to just your time with the Lord, right? Your personal time in prayer and reading the Bible, um, meditating on the word, um, kind of dumping these things into your kids, doing all the things that God has kind of called you to do as parents and all that kind of stuff. It's just your time with Jesus, your personal time with Jesus. An hour a day, that's 30 hours, right? So that's awesome. That leaves 18 hours, right? But you're still going to go to church once a week. Hopefully, you're still going to be a part of a small group once a week, whether it's a D group, Sunday school class. We can even count Wednesday nights uh, on that so that's eight hours a month, right? So let's take that off the list. That leaves us what? Ten hours. What are you going to do with it? What if the collective population of FBN committed that ten hours to just specific direct service to the Lord in this place and to his mission? What would happen? Our time budget would go from 500 hours a month to give us what we got to 3,500 hours a month for the Lord to fill however he pleases. Hmm. I wonder what would be different about this place if that was the case. I know for a fact uh, that that paneling wouldn't still be back there. Somebody would step up and do it as part of their service. We'd paint it or something, right? I know for a fact that uh, as soon as you pull into the parking lot here, there would be three people at your door opening your door, welcoming you to FBN because we'll have... We'll have 70 people on the Connect team. We'll have uh, to rename our Fostering Hope Care Communities to Fostering Hope 
care villages because there's going to be 30 people, you know, supplying care communities to every foster family. Not only that, but imagine that model, that wraparound model. Not only would we have care communities for um, uh, our foster parents, but we'd have care communities for every new believer, every grieving person. Every wayward teen, every special needs family, every marriage on the brink, every widow, they all would have a committed group of four to ten people who are committed to serving them and getting them through that time. That's real stuff. That's Acts chapters 2 stuff. That's raw church stuff. Right? Right now, to be honest with you, if everybody was committed to this, I don't know what we would do with you. But I think if you were... And you know, maybe for the first portion of that time, you just committed it to prayer and asked God to show you where to pour it out. Like there's people that I know who they don't have to serve here, but they're serving the kingdom, right? They're doing prison ministries and they're joining uh, uh, CASA, which is a, a way to be a part of the foster care community to volunteer and to support these foster children. But you don't need me and Brett scraping for ministry opportunities for you, trying to ignite that fire in your life because you're already tight with the Lord. You're doing it whether with or without us, you know what I mean? But you're serving the church in that way. Imagine what we could do. It's pretty fun to think about, right? So that's the service of time. How about money? Resources, right? God has provided. We are complaining about nothing this morning because God has provided for us in so many ways. Listen, our church has been able to raise its budget, um, I think, ever since I've been here. The need keeps increasing, and so does the amount of money that's coming in because the Lord is good and the Lord has provided. He's so good, right? We operate on a $430,000 budget here at FBN. 2020, that's how much money it'll take us to get through the year. That's a lot of money, right? Now, you would imagine if you had a church with 3,500 man hours being filled that we're going to need a little bit more money. Money seems to be one of our biggest hang-ups because... If we had money, we would have built nurseries yesterday if we had the cash on hand, right? If it wasn't an issue of, of praying and trusting the Lord, we would have just built it because we have the money. So it's something that we'll need, especially if we're going to bring in new families and be a draw to this community. So I decided to do a case study, figure out where we're at, right? Um, I know it's always dangerous for a pastor to talk about money. We don't do it enough, so surely you can let me do it just this once, right? We don't make a big deal about money. You guys understand that, right? The only thing that you'll ever see about money in this church is the two obscure black boxes in the back that you assume you're supposed to put something in, right? And there's online giving. But we've just trusted that to the Lord, and the Lord has been good. We used to have a time where we would pass plates around, right? And so I remember one time there was a, we were passing plates, and the guy didn't have enough time to write his check, so he just threw his whole checkbook in there out of frustration, right? Because there was a guy waiting on his money. So we just removed it all, and giving went up. Giving went up just by putting those black boxes back there. The Lord has provided, right? But just imagine with me the potential. We operate on a $430,000 budget. Did you know that the average median income in Terre Haute, Indiana, is $43,000 a household? $43,000, right? We're going to drop down that down to $40,000 for us who aren't math geniuses. $40,000, that's what we're going to work with. Now, our FBN population, like we said, is probably roughly 350, but I'm going to drop that number down and just pretend like there's only 200 of us that are actually going to do this. 200 people who have committed, um, uh, who, who are committed, cheerful, worshipful, worshipful givers, active, giving the tithe. So if you have $40,000 a year, you're going to tithe $4,000 out of that to the church and we have 200 people doing that. Do the math. That's $800,000, right? That we could be operating at a budget of $800,000 with what we're talking about, which is base-level tithing. Base-level tithing. Which, again, there's so much potential here. What that tells us is, one, many of us aren't even scratching the surface, right? That's true, too. And if that's you, listen, I'm not here to guilt you into anything, but I am worried about your heart. If you can't give the Lord any portion of what he's given you, it's all his anyways, what does that say about your heart? It's pretty telling, right? But look at the potential of what God could do. He's providing with where we're at. We, he's increasing us in so many ways, and look where he could take us. Praise the Lord for that. By the way, I'm talking about all of this. He's doing all this stuff. 
right? Again, I'm not trying to guilt you into, into this stuff because he's going to do it with you or without you. And we're going to get there with you or without you. But what we want is for you to be a part of it, to experience the blessing in it, and maybe help us get there a little faster. Now, the third one I'm most excited about, certainly the service of time, uh, the service of resources, but the third one is this. It's the stretching of hearts that the Lord is doing in this place. The stretching of hearts that the Lord is doing. The provision is simply this. I'm hearing stories after stories after stories of people who are committing themselves to the Lord in unique stretching ways. I get to sit in on our elders meetings and listen to these guys talk about how the Lord is stretching them, challenging them um, because... Because they, they know that the Lord wants more for them in this place, and they need to serve this place more. And so God's starting at the executive level, and these guys are leading by, by example. And I'm a part of that group, and, and we're being stretched in that way. Praise God for that. I was able to sit in a, a Bible study, a leadership Bible study, um, through the winter, a few months in the winter, with a big group of you guys, a big group of FBN people, who all sat in that room, listened to authentic leadership being taught from the Scriptures, and were challenged to step deeper, to step in more unique ways in their service uh, of FBN and the Lord's mission. That was amazing to see. I've heard story after story of people who are, or who are, who are submitting their schedules to the Lord and sacrificing big things so that they can be more available to the work of Christ in the church. I recently heard of a young woman who gave up nearly all of her hours at her professional job so she can serve the Lord more at FBN at a volunteer level. I heard of two families who were brave enough to, to have the conversation with their children about uh, uh, travel sports, and they decided to give that up so they can have actually a spring to give to the church for once. I've heard of young men giving up high-paying jobs to pursue lesser-paying ministry careers because they want to be servants of the Lord in a more full capacity. Listen, God's moving. It's happening. It's working. It's going. He's moving. He's, he's taking us. It's, the flow has started. He's provided for us and he's given us what we need. But listen, here is the potential. What if everyone got to that place of being able to stretch their hearts, letting the Lord stretch your hearts, and to take that one step deeper, right? Anybody who is in here, every single person, you are not too busy to take one step I don't care where you are. I don't care what's going on in your life. Honestly, you are not too busy to take one step. Whether that step is small or big or whatever that is, however the Lord's leading it, you can take that step. And listen, the Lord might be calling you to that today. He might be calling you to that today. The question today is simple, and it comes from verse 17. Is that gap, that bridge between knowing something, is it going to be built so that you will no longer be a knower, but you'll be a knower who does something about it. That's what Jesus says in verse 17. One more time. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. It's a hard way to, it's hard to know how to explain that bridging between knowledge and actually doing it. But I think the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 puts a phrase to it that I think helps. The, 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 the bridge is built Upon God's love, the Apostle Paul says, for Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. And listen, it's going to start with his love this morning. It's going to start with your being compelled because you are so in touch with Christ's love for you. And listen, I'm free this morning to understand I can't do this for you. I can talk about his love all day long, but when it comes to actually building the bridge, that's on you. That's between you and the Lord. I cannot do that for you. I pray that you would let that happen. And so what I want to do is just close with this. I can't compel you, but what I can do is tell you without a doubt where all of this begins, and I can tell you what it can become. And so the first thing is this, is that it starts with the heart. It starts with the heart, and it always does. No one is truly compelled about anything if it is not grounded at the heart level, and only God can work there. I can't do it. But there are things that you can do and things that we can do together to help cultivate a heart that will respond to his leading, that will help build the bridge, right? Because his love is what compels us. And so if you want to be compelled by his love, if that's what you need, then why not spend time with him? Spend time with him, cultivate that relationship, feel his love, give him your love, and see what he creates out of it, right? The church is full of stingy and irritable people. I get that. 
Honestly, I don't think that these people uh, truly know what it means to be compelled by the love of God. Maybe they did at one point in time, but you're going to have an impossible time convincing me. If you are here and you're stingy and irritable, but you still claim this vibrant love life with Jesus because of your time in the scripture, it doesn't make sense to me at all. There's a disconnect there totally because those who are, who are in love with Christ, he won't let you be irritable and stingy for too long. But if you are, my guess is there might be a love issue here. Start with the heart. Be in your word. Pray to him about real things going on in your heart. Submit your heart to him in, in real, deep, spiritual ways. And then submit yourself to the community of Christ to come and be a part of everything that's going on. It's, uh, enjoy the service of other people. Let them uh, tend to your hearts. Bump shoulders with other spirit-filled people who are going to speak truth into your life. Do these things. Fall in love with Jesus Christ. And then when that happens, listen, these things are proven in the church. They're proven in the church. Right? The church is the hub where the believers gather with one accord uh, to serve one another, to encourage and pray for one another, and then to send each other off into the world that is the mission field right in our midst. Right? Uh, I see it as kind of like a, a pregame huddle. You know how the team will huddle up before a basketball game and they'll put their hands in and they'll make their chants and they'll sing their worship songs and then they'll let the coach coach them, right, which is what we do. The word of God coaches us a little bit and then we split up, we go onto the court and we do what we've been called to do. The only difference between this game uh, and the actual basketball game is that God doesn't want anybody sitting on the sidelines. You have a part to play. The church is where we come, we rah-rah each other, we get each other excited to do the mission of the work, we encourage each other, we practice and prepare our service to each other, we do it, and then we go out to our teams and our schools and our, our, uh, our, our friend groups, our workplaces, and we be his servants in the world. And that's the coolest part about all of this, listen, is that it starts with your heart's proven by the church, and when these things are popping telling you what, you cannot help but to extend these things to the lost. You cannot help but to be concerned for other people in a way that God's concerned with them. It'll happen naturally, but here's another really cool thing that I want you to think about. See, in Acts chapter 2, we'll close with this, don't worry. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, we have this raw picture of church, right? Uh, Jesus died, he's resurrected, he ascended, and so now they have the spirit. And Peter preaches this sermon, and people are like cut to the heart and all this kind of stuff. And then the last paragraph, it talks about the rawest form of church where the disciples uh, are preaching and teaching, and people are submitting themselves to the preaching and teaching of God's word. They have this unity and fellowship in the spirit with one accord. They're together, they're giving of all of their things, they're pulling their things and they're giving to others as, as needed. It's just this pure, raw form of church. They're doing church in the way that they were called to do church. And the last line of that paragraph is what? And the Lord added to their number daily. The Lord added to their number daily. I think if we do church in the way that God has called us to do church, he's going to be faithful to bring people here. He always has. He's doing it now. And I think if we're committing 300 3,500 hours, you know, if we're, if we're tapping into the potential that he's called us to, he'll, he'll be faithful. He'll give us people to minister to, right? The question, because this is where we're going. This is what he's doing. It's undeniable. The question is, will you be a part of it with us, or are you just going to sit around and know it? Will you do it with us? I'd like for everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. We're going to have a time of prayer. <coughs> The question is, are you compelled today to be a part of this work? And if not, then I, let me ask, what's the hindrance? What's in the way? Can you be honest with yourself? Is it fear? Do you not trust the Lord that he will actually provide for you, that he'll make this worth your while? Is it a love for human concerns? You're really just too concerned about the health and wealth and prosperity and all of that kind of stuff. You're concerned with, with entertainment and sports and all that kind of stuff that you just, you don't have capacity for this and you don't feel the need to. Maybe you're checked out, you're satisfied with the bare minimum, you, you have a wealth of stuff to give, but it's only reserved for your family. Maybe that's it. Listen, nobody's looking around except for me and, and I invite even the elders to look around because we just want to know how to pray for this church. We want to know where you're at and we want to know how to pray for the church. 
right? We're not going to follow up with you on this. I'm not going to walk down to you wherever you're at. We're not going to do that. I just want to know how to pray for you. And so if that's you, if you would see that you are hindered from this and you know that that's there, would you raise your hand so we can pray for you? Amen. Thanks for your honesty. Thank you. Perhaps you're here and you've resisted serving people in the way that God calls us to. You hear sermons like this and easily shrug it off, but for whatever reason, today is a different day, and God's asking you to take a step of service that is different than how you've been living, and you're ready to do that. Would you raise your hands? We want to pray for you in that. Amen. Awesome. Listen, maybe you're here today, and this one's going to be tough for some of you. Maybe you're here today, and you're serving Christ's mission. You're actually serving. You're actually striving. You're trying. Either here or somewhere else, you're serving the Lord. You're not perfect at it at all, but you're striving to grow in Christ and to love people like God loves people. And you see the potential for what God is doing here at FBN, and you want to be a part of that. Would you raise your hand so we can pray for you in that? Amen. So many hands. Thank you, guys. Amen. And lastly, since we're here, guys, maybe you're here today and this is the very first time that you feel the Lord pulling on your heart. You've been experiencing church for a while, but you know that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. He's never been your Lord. He's never been your teacher. He's never been your Savior. And today you understand that he lived for you, that he died for you, that he rose for you, and that if you believe in him with all your heart... Give yourself to him, that he will save you from your sins, He's purchased, that he's purchased for you by his blood shed on the cross. And now you're ready to live in service to him for the rest of your life, whether that be at this church or, or any other place. You're ready to live for him. You want to give your life to him today. Would you raise your hands? Amen. Praise the Lord. God, thank you so much for this morning. Grateful for the work that you've done in our midst. God, we're so grateful for the provision that you have given this church to get us to where we are. God, to provide an experience that we all so deeply love and cherish uh, that is just crucial to our faith, crucial to our, our relationship with you and our relationship with each other. But God, we also see the, the mass of potential that is here. We see where you're taking us, and we praise your name for it, and we, we, we know that the road is long and that it's, uh, it's, a, it's a heavy extension from where we're at, and yet you are faithful. You will provide. God, would you let us be feet washers who rise to the task, who don't just see it all and praise your name for it because we know it, but would join in it and do it with you and trust you that with every step that we take into that work that you will give us what we need to fulfill what you've called us to do in that step. God, we love you. We're grateful for the work that you've done among us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, we're going to play one more song uh, of worship. And um, if you're here and you want to chat, listen, we're, we're going to be around. I know this room's just not very conducive to this stuff so much. But listen, I'll be up here. Brett will be back there after the service. Please come up and shake our hands. Let us pray with you. Let us serve you in this way. Would you stand as we sing one last song?